Frequency Cast. Startup in progress. Hi, and welcome to Frequency Cast number 62, the UK's digital TV and technology show. The show that's driven by feedback from you. My name's Carl, and with me today is our tech guru, Pete. Today, we look at some important changes to the internet. IPv6 is on the way. How ready are you? Now, here's a look at what we'll be talking about in today's tantalizing take on technology. Nintendo's 3D game console is here. Changes on the way for the BBC as they slash costs. The results of our disposable digital camera tests are in. 100 3D TV channels by 2015. Plus your questions on yesterday, the IMAX Mini and Analog. First off, here's Pete with the latest TV and tech news. Frequency cast, now loading, news. Headline time, and we start off with a quick digital switchover update. The Central and Anglia TV regions have now started the switchover, with the Nottingham and Sandy Heath TV transmitters switching off BBC2 analogue at the end of March. Freeview users in those areas may need to perform a channel rescan to get the correct lineup. Next, BBC cost-cutting plans may soon be affecting local radio. The BBC has a network of 40 local radio stations, and there's been a proposal to reduce the amount of local content provided by these stations. If the plans go ahead, the local radio stations would keep their breakfast and drive time shows and relay five live for the rest of the time. No decision has yet been made. More on this later in the show. Staying with radio, the new radio player has just gone live, bringing together 150 commercial and BBC stations. Listen online at radioplayer.co.uk. Also, a quick reminder that BBC Radio 7 becomes Radio 4 Extra from the 2nd of April. Some tablet news now. The slimmer, faster and lighter iPad 2 launched on the 25th of March and, of course, has now sold out. If you've not seen it, though, take a look at the video clip of the queues at London's Westfield. Staggering. There's a link on our show notes. If you're considering the Galaxy Tab as an alternative, we found a great deal at the moment. The Wi-Fi-only version is available SIM-free for just 299 Again, links on our show notes. Some Google news now. Google has just released Google Plus One. This is a rival to the Facebook Like button. Expect to see websites rolling out Plus One buttons in the coming months. Next, regular listeners will know we've discussed powerline adapters, aka home plugs, before. These are used to send broadband around the home using mains wiring. They're also known to cause radio interference, although the regulator Ofcom has previously denied that these cause a problem. Well, one amateur radio operator has used the UK Freedom of Information laws to force Ofcom to release a report that appears to confirm that these products breach European law. For the full story, see our show notes. Now, broadband. If you're looking for faster broadband without having to pay the earth, those lovely folks at Plusnet, you know, the ones with their Yorkshire support, are about to roll out Plusnet fibre from the 19th of April. Speeds are up to 40 megabits per second and the price just 16.49 a month. To see if you're in the coverage area, see the link on our show notes. And finally, thanks to regular listener Tish for pointing us in the direction of the new scientist. 
The news story in question documents how jamming just one service can wipe out aircraft tracking, medical pages, mobile phones, and cash machines. The service in question is GPS, as used by satnavs. It's possible, using just a small $30 jammer, to wipe out GPS signals over a wide area. These small jammers are sometimes used by truckers to stop their bosses finding out where they are. We suggest you take a read of the full story to find out just how vulnerable we all are. We hope you haven't thrown away your old road atlases. You might be needing them. Thanks, Pete. For more on these stories and others, visit frequencycast.co.uk slash news. Frequencycast. Now loading. Focus. So we're focusing in, and apparently you're going very serious on me today, and we're having a bit of fun, you've promised me. Three-dimensional fun. I wonder what that might be. Five points for guessing. Okay, so I have a message here from Alex Thine. I'm seeing news stories about the new IPv6 internet addressing system. Is that IPv6? IP version 6. Yes, you got that right. Read on. All right, sorry. At the moment, TalkTalk are not proposing to go over to it, and the results from Virgin Media confuse me. I'm confused by this email. This is a lot of words here, you know. Uh, Because although I'm seeing IPv6 addresses, the page I'm viewing says my browser is blocked. TalkTalk also say in their members' forums that 90% of routers currently in use can't handle the new addressing system anyway. This all sounds very worrying, but I'm not entirely sure I understand what you're talking about. Well, it does indeed sound fairly worrying, and the reason we're focusing in on it today is because it is serious news as far as internet is concerned. Just carry on with his email for a second there. Right, he goes on to say, IPv6 date is due on the 8th of June. Now it's getting more confusing. That's actually quite worrying. That's quite near. Yep, true. Getting nearer. Uh, What does all this stuff mean practically? For a non-geek like me, and me. Uh, Can you devote some time in the next show? That's before June, please. And please don't tell me that the internet is going to pack up if I can't navigate to a new IPv6 address. So, uh, it's happened at long last. Technology has lost. It's all going to break in a few months' time. Brilliant. This is exactly what I said. Let's all go back to analogue. Okay, well, it's not quite as bad as it sounds, but it is certainly well worth some discussion. So, first of all, let's take it back to basics. What is an IP address, Carl? Uh, That's the address for your computer, because it has its own residence, you see. I can't tell you much more about that, other than it's an address for your computer. Uh, Every computer has its own address that you can actually identify where where anything came from. Yeah, I suppose the best way of looking at it is it is like a postcode. So everything on the internet, computers, network connections, servers, websites, they all have a series of numbers that identify them. And the way of actually checking, those of you in front of a computer, do what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a web browser, and in the URL box, I'm going to type in the URL, whatsmyipaddress.com. Oh, right. Yeah, and the numbers come up. It looks a little bit like the number you get on a bank card. You know, it's a selection of numbers with a gap and numbers and a gap. So what you can see here is basically four blocks of numbers separated by dots. So it'll be 86 dot something dot something dot something. That is the IP address of the internet connection here in the studio that we're using at the moment. With me so far? I'm trying to keep up, and I'm doing all right, I think. So this is where the science will get you, though. An IP address is made up of these blocks of four sets of numbers. Now, these are known as 32-bit numerical addresses, and there can only be four billion unique addresses. Is that all? Oh, so we'll be running out pretty soon, I should think. Well, that's what the big hoo-ha is all about. By 2012, we will be out of IP version 4 addresses, which are these ones with the number dot, number dot, number dot, number format. We're going to run out in about a year. So it's time to go to version 5. Why version 6? What's the desperation? 
Yeah, funnily enough, version 5 didn't happen. We've gone straight into V6. V6 has actually been around for about 10 years now, and it uses 128-bit hexadecimal values. Of course. Why wouldn't it? So look at that. Read out that for me, if you can. And this is a bit of a tricky one. If anyone there's got a pen and a bit of paper, they might want to actually write this down as we're reading it out, because we're going to do this fairly quickly. So it's a 36C4 colon. 2000 colon. 2176 colon. 2347 colon. 1A4 colon. D6EF colon. B21E colon. 42BC. There you go. That's what an IPv6 address sounds like. And if you can't really visualise it, go to our website and we will show you what these things look like. If you're actually going to type them into a web browser, you type them in as HTTP colon forward slash forward slash open square brackets. And then you go for this number, 36C4 colon 2000. And then at the end, you close the square brackets, colon 80 slash index.html. Nice and catchy, eh? Well, that's a cinch, isn't it? It's like knowing your own home address, really. Now, IPv6 is already being used by a number of systems. And as I say, it's been around for about 10 years or so. But it's got to be rolled out worldwide across the entire internet. And ideally, by the time we run out of IPv4 addresses. So uh, quite a few things need to happen. Such as what? People need longer memories? Clearly, absolutely. So web services, such as things like YouTube and Facebook, all the different services that you use on the net, need to be able to support IPv6. Then the internet service providers uh, and the hosting companies also need to upgrade to IPv6. And the entire internet itself, all those routers and exchanges and switch boxes all across the internet, they need to be updated as well. This is a nightmare. It sounds like the Millennium bug going off again. Yeah, you're not the first person to make that assumption. The sort of good news, though, is that if you're not ready for IPv6, it doesn't mean everything breaks. IPv4 is going to carry on working. So it's only new services that start getting added from 2012 onwards, where IPv6 isn't supported somewhere in the chain, there could be a problem. So it's going to be kind of like the digital switchover, you know, analogue and digital working together. That'll be the theory. IPv4 certainly will be absolutely fine going forward, but it is when we run out, we do need to start phasing in IPv6 so that systems can work with both of them together. I thought you said all this was happening by June the 8th. I mean, this isn't going to be happening that quickly, is it? What you mean by the 8th of June is actually something called World IPv6 Day, and that is scheduled, as you say, for the 8th of June 2011. And really, it's nothing that you should be overly worried about. It's the first time that a number of big players will be enabling IPv6 for the first time. They're going to switch it on for 24 hours and see what happens and what breaks. Now, as this is affecting so many people, do we all get the day off work? Is it like another bank holiday? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, Well, allegedly, there are no risks to this. This is all going to be invisible to the average user. So it is going to be sort of infrastructure tests. The estimate is something like less than 0.1% of people will actually notice anything going on on the 8th of June. That's what's being alleged. So there is nothing too serious to worry about. Existing sites and services will be able to work, but it is just an experiment to see what sort of things need to be thought through ahead of the, uh, the big switch over, which will probably be in about 2012. I must confess, I don't think I'm going to notice anything's going on. If you're interested, we've got a link up on our show notes to World IPv6 Day, where there's lots of information and some details of what's going to be tested. That's fantastic. Thanks for all that, Pete. Now, just one little question. Are people actually getting worried about this or not? 
I'd say this is probably the most hot topic as far as we're concerned. This is coming in to us via Twitter. This is coming in by email. We've had a fair number of people expressing a concern about IPv6 and asking for us to take a look. Uh, we did a quick tweet before we started recording. Uh, we had Barry White, Mark Webb, Gary H, John Clegg and Nick Beckett, to name a few, uh, that came in and said, yes, quite worried about IPv6. Please discuss. So how exactly do people find out? whether or not they're ready or they're going to be ready. Okay, there's a lovely website I can recommend. This was actually recommended by one of my amateur radio friends, of course. (laughs) Friends. (laughs) So a big hello to Peter G4UJG for recommending test-ipv6.com. So let me just call this up on my little tablet here, and I'll show you what the current situation is. Now, this is actually a bit of client-side JavaScript that's running here. It says, test your IPv6 connectivity. Your IPv4 address on the public internet appears to be, and there's our IP4 address, no IPv6 address has been detected. IPv6 day is June 8th. No problems are anticipated for you on this browser at this location. You appear only to be able to browse IPv4 internet. You will not reach IPv6 sites. Your DNS server appears to have no access to IPv6 internet. Your readiness, 0 out of 10. Yep, that sounds like you, and you're not ready, and you're cutting edge, so just think how far behind you I am. So IPv6, in a nutshell there, it is something to be aware of, and certainly this IPv6 day. If you want more information, what we'd suggest you do is go to http colon forward slash forward slash open square brackets 36c4 colon 80 forward slash index dot html and if you didn't get that tough to make it a little bit easier for you if you want links to all of the ipv6 stuff we've discussed go to frequencycast.co.uk forward slash ip oh look at that you make it all easy for them don't you so anything new to show me well of course we have one of these oh thank you very much is this my mine this better be mine it's the Nintendo 3D, isn't it? So, what have we got? We've got, oh, two cameras. Oh, that's a bit sleek, isn't it? On the back. And you've obviously got the internal camera as well. I'm looking inside. You've got a 3D off and a, a, like a volume control for the 3D. Obviously, you've got your normal cursors, A, B, X, Y, uh, cursor function there, power on, off. And, oh, good grief, look at the screen. Hold on a minute, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, left, right, wireless connections there, uh, headphones... SD card holder and volume. Okay, it all seems quite nice. It's a nice finish, isn't it? Oh, look at that screen. It's turned your room 3D with the camera. It's funny, because normally in this studio it's only two-dimensional, but look through the screen and it's all three-dimensional. Even you've got a personality. Thank you very much. Would you like to know what's... Yeah, all right, shut up. So let's take a look at these apps. So we've got 3D movie, got Star Wars, we got a camera there, uh, 3D sound, good grief, what did that do? Uh, me, that sounds interesting. Me Maker, don't know what that does. Uh, Street Pass Me Plaza, that sounds like something you play a lot of. R Games, I guess that's what that is. And Face Raiders, oh, that sounds cool. That's your face on there, isn't it? What have you been doing? And informa- health and safety information. That's an interesting one. Um, and an activity log. Nice. And then, of course, settings. Great. So tell me all about your favourite bit. I love the way the screen works. So, of course, you've got the 3D effects, which do make it really good. Dual screen. So the top screen is full 3D, controlled by a little slider on the side. And what's new, obviously, it plays 3D games. And we've got the uh, 3D Lego game in there at the moment, Star Wars Lego. Uh, you can take photos in 3D. Uh, so full 3D photos with the camera on the outside, which has two lenses. Something called Street Pass, which means you carry it around with you. And if it gets into contact with other 3DS users, it sends them messages. It's also got a pedometer. 
And as you walk every 100 steps, you get a special coin, which gives you a bonus on other games. So it's like Mario Kart. No, it's like a Mario game in real life. How good's this? You can keep a log of the previous games that you've played, share your games with other users. It's got something called Spot Pass, which does updates, new content and notifications over Wi-Fi. And two things coming soon, an internet browser and the Nintendo eShop, where you can download extra games. Wow. Now, I'm just looking at this screen, and I think this is something you have to convey. It's interesting, because if you don't look square on, it kind of flickers. Uh, it's a bit like the old technology. Do you remember the Cocoa Pops rulers, where you had to move them, and, and Cocoa Pops' character moved around? Ah, oh, you mean lenticular three-dimension? Yeah. Okay. Right, now I need to show you this. I know you've been having a little play, but I think you fast-forwarded through the AR, augmented reality. Hold your hand out. Okay. Basically, in your left hand, you've got a playing card with a picture of Mario on, yes? Right. Now, I point the 3D camera at this, and it will lock into the picture. Okay, there we go. Now, in your hand, who have you got dancing around your hand? Mario, how do you do that? Oh, look, and if I move my hand this way, you can see around him. Oh, look, I can look at the top of his head. Oh, I can turn him upside down. Look, that's really clever. What happens if I press this button? So how cool is that? You're actually holding Mario in your hand, and as you turn him left and right, the little character in your hand is moving. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's real interaction. This is incredible. But of course, although the 3D is brilliant, the really important thing about this is how the actual console behaves as a games console. Now, really, we're not really mega games players, are we? Let's be honest. No, but I was enjoying Star Wars until you snatched that off me. So what we've done is we found a couple of people younger than us to get their hands on the console and play around with the games to see what they have to say. First off, here's Alex. First impressions are very good. Um, I've liked that they've kept the original design of the device and um, they've added a Danalog stick which helps with all sorts of gameplay. So that's the little circle that you're using yes. there. You've got your thumb on the, uh, on the controller and you can do up, down, left, right yeah. and diagonals. Yeah, it helps with all sorts of things like um, controlling the lightsaber. I'm looking over your shoulder here, so I'm not getting the full 3D effect. Yeah. But you've got a little mini Yoda, and you're whacking a tree by the looks of it with your lightsaber. <laughs> yes. The 3D makes it look a lot more interesting, and when you pick things up, it looks like it's coming at you. I'm quite enjoying it because it allows you to see things a lot differently than it would in a normal DS. Before you actually started playing the game that you're playing at the moment, which is, what are we playing at the moment? Um, Star Wars Lego. Uh, you were playing with the built-in game, Face Raiders. How did you find that? Oh, that was much fun. I had to use the um, camera, took a picture of my face, and flying things came at you, and it used the background, and then things came out of it. It was really good fun. I'm now with Nick, who is playing a face battle game and doing something rather odd. Nick, what are you doing? I am trying to aim at floating faces on the screen. Instead of moving the joystick, you have to move the console to aim where you want it to go. Okay, now earlier you were playing uh, the Star Wars Lego game, which makes a lot of use of the 3D as well. Yeah, I was really impressed with the 3D effects on that. It gave the game a different element, but it wasn't essential to gameplay. It didn't make the biggest of differences, but it was just, it was impressive. From a value for money point of view, obviously you've got the iPhone where you can get a game for, let's say, a quid, whereas games for this are 35, 40 quid with the 3D. Which of the two would you go for? I would choose this because I think there's a limit to iPhone games. Obviously, this is a proper console, and I think with a couple of different games, you could quite easily take up a lot of time on a holiday or a trip away. Now I have Katie with me, who's got her hands on the 3DS for the first time. First impressions on the screen, first of all. It's very clear, 
Very, very clear. Right. Now we throw the magic switch and we put this into 3D. So you should notice a bit of a change there. That makes a big difference. It's very, very clever. Okay. Now if you just use the little left and right control there to get some of the other applications. Wow. And this is one of my favourites. You've got this weird pencil bouncing around the screen. I think that that's amazing. It really looks like it's coming out of the page. So what's happened now is we've got a photo of Katie's face on there and you're physically moving the machine left, right, up and down in front of you, yeah. uh, pressing the A button to shoot at yourself with a little hat <laughs> on. And if you look, as you blow holes, you're blowing <gasps> holes in the back wall there. Wow. That's so clever. That's what about the, What about the experience of gameplay? I'm probably one person that doesn't play on these kind of games, but this... This does attract me quite a lot. It's, it's very different, and I think it's just so clever. There's nothing like it. It's just something else. It's something so different. And have you got a headache yet? I haven't, actually. I thought I probably would, but I definitely haven't, and I'm getting quite into this game. <laughs> so there you go. That's what three willing victims had to say about the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, I should point out there's a couple of important things to, to bear in mind with the console. The, uh, the rules that come with it. If you look at the, the book, there are six pages of health and safety warnings. Superb. So if you get bored of the game or you run out of power, you can just read that, can't you? Not far off, actually. So as well as the uh, dangers of RSI and, and you know, holding a games console and RFI, the interference from the, the wireless component, uh, there are some specific warnings about the 3D mode. First off, it may cause vision damage to children under six, and it actually includes the ability to disable 3D in the parental controls. Uh, you should take a 15-minute break every 30 minutes. God, sounding like a work day. And you mustn't use it in a moving vehicle or on a train because you can get motion sickness oh brilliant so the one reason you buy this for your kids is to keep them entertained on long journeys that's out although to be fair you can just switch off the 3d mode and play a 2d game yeah but can you switch off your children oh that'd be lovely wouldn't it so there you go that's our first look at the nintendo 3ds comments well i like it it's lovely i'm enjoying star wars as i said how much retail price 220 best price we've found for it 187 some picks and links up on our show notes Fantastic. And where did you buy this one from? Ah, yeah, good point. I didn't actually buy this online, which is very unlike me. I actually went to speak to my mate Brian at our local game station, and he did me a lovely deal. Cheers, Brian. Brian, you're the best. Now, while I mention this, we're talking about a 3D games console. I want to talk to you about another dimension of sound. Just for your interest and information, we're actually using a different microphone for today's show. You might find we sound a little bit different. Uh, We would appreciate your comments. What do you think about our slightly unusual three-dimensional sound? Yes, that's right. It's frequency cast in 3D. Do let us know. So, if you caught our update that we released in the middle of March, we talked about this little device here, didn't we? Oh, yes, a lovely plastic camera. A disposable one that was digital. Let's face it, disposable cameras are normally those lovely things you get at things like weddings and other family events, where you take a 30 or 40 photos, take them down to your local film processing company, get the film back a few days later, and there are your photos. Now, this is a digital disposable camera, and we touched on it in our update. Yep, we certainly did. And to be honest with you, we don't expect quality from this, do we? So we went out and about last week taking photos with our disposable digital, courtesy of the lovely lads and lasses at advancedmp3players.co.uk. And here we go, let's have a look. Good grief, there's a lot of them. How many was this? We got 39 out of our camera. 
Yeah, it was a bit grainy, the indoor one there, but... Um... Yeah, not great, that one. You see, the indoor ones with the flash aren't amazingly good. They're certainly acceptable for what they are, but they're not amazingly good. They do look like wedding snaps. You know, the whole sort of put a camera on the table idea. Uh, the outdoor ones, they're looking uh, quite a lot clearer. No, they're, they're really... They, they represent the image well, and also, of course, you're not damaging your own camera. I see you out in the rain there. So that's the advantage of these things, is you can take them out and about without running the risk of, of damaging them, dropping them or losing them. It's only a tenner to gamble, and actually they're not that bad. No, very good. But these are disposable. Oh, are they now? And allegedly fully recyclable. We had a message as a result of our little update in March from Andy Smith. He said, just heard your latest update. As disposable digital cameras have been around in the US for some time, there are plenty of entries on Google about how to hack them to turn them into reusable disposable digital cameras. Did you know that? No, I didn't, but that's probably handy advice for people out there. So you can buy one of these as your permanent camera by the sounds of it. What we're going to do, out of curiosity, is um, take a look inside. What do you think? Shall we test it to destruction? Crack the Kinder Egg open. Right. Get it open. Come on, you wimp. Oh! Hold your fingers. Yeah, I didn't want that thumb. Didn't want that finger. Did I get you? Yeah, we're we're doing fine. There's blood everywhere. Don't worry, get a paramedic in. We'll be fine. It doesn't want to come apart. Go on, give it some welly. Okay, well done, Carl. Your strength is superior to mine. Okay, oh, okay, so what we've got is a bit of broken plastic. That's presumably the counter, so that counts your one to 40, little wheelie thing there. And that's the push button mechanism, such as it is. Oh, funnily enough, it's a bit of metal. Yeah. Well, it is now. It's all right, the cleaner will get there later. And it looks like there's two sets of batteries. Okay, there's a battery for the flash. Oh, no, three, must be three for the flash and one for the camera operation. Okay. little circuit board with a switch and a large capacitor on it. And an LED there to tell you it was on. There's a USB port the other side of that there. Oh, and look, there's the lens. Ah, OK, so there's your lens. And that is presumably your uh, flash memory for storing your photos. Do you think it will still work? Hang on, let's press the charging button. Oh, pass me the charging button. It's over there on the floor. So there you go, that is, or should I say was, the VistaQuest single-use digital camera. Links to an undestroyed one up on our show notes. Frequency cast. Now loading. Interaction. Time for feedback and questions now, starting off with a message from James in London. I hear that the BBC is going to scale back on local radio news. Why is this? Their news, sports and information service is invaluable and in some areas of the country may be the only source available when out and about. Pete. We touched on this earlier in news. Nothing has been confirmed yet, but if they do go ahead with the plans, the 40 BBC local radio stations will keep their breakfast and drive time shows, but with five live being used to fill in the rest of the day's output. Not particularly good, eh? Not very handy, no. And the reason behind this is the BBC has to make 20% of cost savings as a result of the six-year licence freeze, and the plans for local radio are some of the options in the BBC's new Delivering Quality First review. As to when it will happen and whether it will happen, watch this space. Hmm, worrying. While I mull that over, here's a podline call from Wales. My name is William Owen, and uh, I wonder how much it would cost me a vision box and some sports one and two. Thank you. Hi, William. Well, the cheapest option is to get a BT package, phone, broadband and TV, for £20. And for that, you get a free BT Vision box. Then you pay an extra £12.30 for Sky Sports 1 and 2. Remember, both BT Vision and Top Up TV both work out cheaper than Sky Sports 1 and 2 from Sky itself. And now, another podline call. I bought this um, 
Fockard Bell, IMAX Mini, the N3600. And basically, when I connect it via HDMI to my 46-inch TV, and uh, when I uh, stream like uh, YouTube or go to YouTube, and uh, it seems to work very, very slow, and it's, it's like dragging and pixelated and everything. Not 100% sure what to do. Spent a lot of money on that and quite disappointed. Okay, well, I've got myself an IMAX Mini. They're lovely. We reviewed them back in show 48. Mine's fine for watching 720 HDMI video with no stutter. Some things to check. First off, make sure you've got the latest driver for the NVIDIA ION graphics card. Next, check that the CPU's not being overworked. You can do this by looking in Task Manager and the Performance tab. Also, if it's streaming internet content that's the problem, it could well be the speed of your machine's internet connection. Check that out, as a slow connection won't do you any favours. Yeah, cheers for that, Pete. Let us know how you get on. Right, next one, from Neil Christie. I know that the DSO still has a while to go. Oh, that's a little rhymer there. DSO? Familiar with that one? Uh, digital switchover. I knew that, yes. Good, yes, good, yes, good, yeah, good, yeah. good. But when will TV manufacturers begin producing TVs with only a digital tuner rather than a, both a digital one and an analogue one? I want to get Freeview HD TV, but don't want functions that are no use to me at all. Yeah, that's a fair point, and indeed an interesting question. I suspect analogue in TVs will be around for a while. Remember, as well as being useful for analogue TV, an analogue receiver has other uses, such as getting TV from another room, and also using equipment with a modulated output, such as a video recorder. If you've got any thoughts, gang, get in touch. Great. And now a podline call from Brian about yesterday, and it's not the song by the Beatles. My name is Brian Fallon. I'm calling from Ealing in West London. Uh, I have recently become aware of a program called Yesterday, a channel called Yesterday, and I find it very, very interesting indeed. Uh, I'm not able to record it on my set, and I'm wondering why. Well, the channel Yesterday isn't encrypted, so recording it shouldn't be a problem. You don't mention how you're trying to record the channel, but one of the more common problems we get is that the recorder has not been connected to your set-top box correctly. There's a link on our show notes for anyone that needs help recording digital TV. And now we've got a big well done to Andy Smith, Mark Hawkins and Graham Holland. Uh, they are the very lucky ones that managed to win a pack of stowaways in last month's competition. Uh, your reviews are coming soon. Indeed. Thanks for all your feedback today. As ever, you can get in touch with us via our site. You can text us on 07882 043521 or get your voice on the show by leaving us a podline message. Excellent, yes, and the number is, of course, 0208133 Remember, the show is driven by feedback from you, so please get in touch. Oh, and if you're feeling generous, an iTunes review would be, well, great. Frequency cast. Shut down in progress. Well, that's your lot for this show, show 62. For news updates or to get in touch, please visit frequencycast.co.uk. While you're there, click the Add Us to iTunes button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for FrequencyCast. Thanks for listening to our tantalising take on technology. And if you like what you've heard, please spread the word. FrequencyCast. Shut down.